0: This episode is brought to you by AudioQuest, makers of the mythical series Analog Interconnects. Click the link in the show notes for more information. Welcome back everybody to another episode of the Darko Audio podcast. This time, I think, is going to be a little bit different because Michael LaVornia joins us once again. Welcome, Michael. Good to be here. And we're both we, we were both just discussing before we started recording how unprepared we are for this <laughs> podcast, right? Which might mark us, uh, you know, among some listeners as being unprofessional. But I'm happy to open up this conversation, Michael, to kind of whichever topics take our fancy. We do have a rough plan, actually. It's not fair to say we're not completely prepared because we do have a Google Doc with stuff that we uh, we might talk about. But, I mean... An outline, yeah. An outline. But I guess, you know, my feeling a little bit sort of all over the place today reflects the state of my lounge room in which I'm sitting mm-hmm. because... <laughs> My girlfriend was over yesterday and she was, it was a beautiful day, beautiful, sunny day, very unusual for this time of year. And she's like, your windows are disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm like, yeah, they are. I haven't cleaned them in two years, pretty bad. So she sort of shamed me into doing them. So I kind of got the bucket out and got the window wiper thing out and, oh. you know, with a rubber blade and everything. Yeah and gave it my best shot. And she's like, no, that's still disgusting. (laughs) So she shamed me a second time by uh, getting the Windex out of my bathroom and started helping me out with it. And we redid it. And so I was doing the Windex on the inside. And to do the inside, I had to move a load of speakers that were in front of the window and a a hi-fi rack and a bunch of other stuff, which then exposed me to the sort of ecosystem that lives behind my radiator. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh God, I've got to do that now. So I've been cleaning that up today. So I had to pull everything out. i pulled everything out sort of behind the speakers as well. Cause I'm going to clean all that. Cause I found a moth there this morning. So I was like, oh, I've got to do this as well. So it's just, honestly, this place right now is like a, yeah, it's like a bum site. It's just, Disgusting, really. It's terrible. I mean, it's not dirty mm. or anything because I'm cleaning it now. That's the whole point, but it's just there's just shit everywhere. So that sort of dovetails nicely into, you know, <laughs> my feeling a little bit sort of discombobulated, not very well well sorted for this episode. But we are gonna pick one news item from the last what, is it two months since we've spoken or something like that? Gosh.
1: I don't, you know, that's, yeah, I don't know. That's a thing these days. Time is really escapes me. I've Mm. completely lost track. I was never very good at keeping track of time, but it's gotten even hairier these days.
0: Right. Okay. So I think I said we'd pick one news item from the last couple of months that we want to talk about here. Do you want to go first?
1: Sure. Yeah, I'm picking a, a fairly recent news item from last week, uh, and that is Fripps came out with a 12th anniversary edition of their Terminator 2 and Terminator Plus, DAX. Mm-hmm. I'm not, it's unusual to me celebrating a 12th anniversary. Yes, but- <laughs> well, I mean, my
0: website's 12 years old this month actually this a happy
1: month. anniversary right I, I might
0: produce a 12th <laughs> anniversary post i don't know but it's just a it, you're right so it's a, it's a weird anniversary to kind of mark but you know if you're in business if you're selling products to the public then why not like you know more yeah. power to you if you can do it so what so what's special about these two decks
1: yeah so essentially yeah what they've done i guess the main things are they've upgraded uh the transformers uh, and they have two big honking transformers in these decks. Uh, mm. You can see them on the on the uh, Danifer's website. They have pictures, but the new transformers, let's just say they're upgraded and they're and they're better. I don't want to get into details because that would suggest it would mean something,
0: mm. <laughs> you know,
1: high mm. purity, blah 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 blah. Uh, mm. But nonetheless, um, they've optimized some critical circuitry.
0: Okay, and they've uh, <laughs> they've yeah.
1: They've removed some uh, circuitry from the I squared S and SP diff inputs. Did you try um, and re-
0: remove your microphone as you said that?
1: <laughs> no, sorry, man. It, you know what it is? <laughs> I have all these wires in uh, my head because you know me. I, when I talk, I move all over the place, especially with my hands. Right. And I just whacked the uh, headphone wire into the microphone. So. Okay,
0: just just so we're clear, because listeners will be like, what was
1: that? So. <laughs> I was trying to strangle my microphone. Okay. So, yeah. Sorry
0: to kick you. Well, you kicked yourself, of course, there with the uh, the Denifrips upgrades. But
1: <laughs> Yeah, no. And so uh, there are other some, in, other, some internal upgrades. I believe they've done a little more work uh, to physically isolate um, the different parts of the DAC inside. And the only outward change is really the twelfth. It just says twelfth on the uh, front, uh, front on the the front panel, panel. right. So,
0: what's the pricing on these? Is it? It is two decks, or is it one deck? It's two decks.
1: So yeah, the Terminator Two is for. and these prices, yeah, and this is just straight off their website, 4632 for the Terminator 2, 12th mm-hmm. anniversary, and 7141 for the Terminator Plus.
0: Oh, yes, because they have the Plus, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about, well, not just the Terminator, but I guess most Denefrips stacks is I have yet to see a video or a written piece about them where somebody's written, oh, I just couldn't get along with those DACs. You know, they yeah. were just too much this or too much that. And you can't say that about many DACs because, you, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to look that hard to find complaints, say, about a Chord DAC or a PS hmm. Audio DAC or, I don't know, even a, even the benchmark. Uh, what's, is, it, is it a DAC or a DAC pre, that, that thing that they make that's um, that measures incredibly well? It has yeah, well,
1: yeah, I believe it's yeah, that's a DAC with uh with the volume, yeah,
0: yeah. So I mean, yeah, even Aurillac DACs, you know, or uh, just just pick any DAC, you'll find somebody somewhere expressing that that it wasn't really to their taste. And mm-hmm. I just I haven't seen this about denafrips because they do seem to have a very uh, maybe we just call it an agreeable sound.
1: Yeah, I find that to be the case, and all. I, I think also, you know, their least expensive deck, um, the Ares mm-hmm. Two, mm-hmm. Uh, comes in under eight hundred dollars.
0: Yeah, you know, so
1: you know, relatively affordable in the grand scheme of things. So I think they had a little love for that as well. You know, they offer and the Terminator. Uh, Plus is their top of the line at seven grand, so and they've got a whole bunch of decks in between those two price points. So it's mm. you know it's an extensive, relatively extensive line, um, in a broad with a broad price range. So
0: yeah, they do have something for every every budget. And I, what I like also like about them is that their yeah their most expensive deck, and I'm going to have to do air quotes here, is only you know seven hundred sorry seven thousand euros, where
1: mm.
0: whereby many other Hi-Fi companies, this might be a cliche to say this, but they, you know their DAX starts at much higher than seven grand. So I think that's the other reason DeLaFrips have been successful is they kind of give a taste of the Uber high-end, but mm-hmm. I'd say it, let's just call them high-end pricing. It's definitely not entry-level with the Terminator. Even if I try and talk about the Aries Two, the $800 one, mm-hmm. as entry-level on YouTube, I do get some pushback sure and i i kind of understand why i mean I, but i guess everybody has their own sort of take on entry level i tend to think for me entry level is like less than a grand hmm. that's roughly where i kind of draw the line but i know some people might go well it's less than 500 bucks for me but there ain't no rule book that says one <laughs> of us is right or wrong you know so it's just you kind of have to follow the people that speak to you i guess
1: yeah I may, maybe some people take issue with the even just the term entry as suggesting, you know, it's like, oh, imagine somebody said, oh, that's a nice entry system you've got there. It's like, huh? (laughs) Yeah, uh,
0: there is that. I mean, this this comes back to snobbery and inverted snobbery. I Hmm. I don't, I don't want to go there. I made a video about that recently. I thought I tackled it pretty well. So I'm, 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 I'm definitely not going to risk undoing all that good work in this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so let's move on yes. um a news item that really struck me and this is a really odd one and this is entry level because this product I think well it, it's now on sale, it sells for just over a hundred bucks, and you buy it from IKEA and it has been developed in collaboration with the sort of EDM supergroup the Swedish house mafia, who are very much not my taste in electronic music, hmm. but they've kind of developed this range of furniture that I guess speaks to them being sort of music, music producers or DJs or whatever. And the range is called, and I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but I'm going to give it a good go. But the thing is, it's got an umlaut in it. So I don't know whether hmm. in 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 Sweden, I don't know how you pronounce the umlaut, but it's to me, it's if I was pronouncing it as a German word... It would be like Uber Orbagrensad. So this Uber Grenzad relates to a range of products. I'm honing in on one here, which is basically, well, it kind of looks like a kalax unit, which, as we know, is probably the world's most popular vinyl storage furniture. Yeah. So it's, you know, the, the, the squares you get in a sort of, well, I guess you call it a shelving system. I don't know, like in German yeah. it's called a Regal. That's the German word for shelving. But, you know, you get one by one, two by two, two by four. And this thing is a two by four, kind of. Hmm. So if you imagine a two by four and it's laying on its long side, and then the great thing about this is there's another sort of maybe, I don't know, I'm going to guess here, maybe like a 15, 20 centimeter lift that's then split into two. And into those two new slots at the top, you could fit a full-size hi-fi component, a full, you know, full-width hi-fi component, yeah. which I believe comes in at. And I've, I, I did write it down once, but I haven't. Uh, no, don't have it in front of me. But it's <laughs> What is it? Like forty-three centimeters, something like that. Forty-four centimeters. But and in a normal Calax cube, which is only thirty-three centimeters, you can't get your sort of average amplifier. Yeah or CD player or DAC where you could probably get a, you could definitely get a Denafrips Ares two in a Calax <laughs> hole, but you couldn't get a terminator.
1: That's correct. Yeah.
0: So with this new Urba Grenzad shelving unit, you could get, you know, a terminator on one side at the top, and then well, not on the top in, in this extra sort of slot. And then on, maybe on this side, you probably have your integrated amp or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, cause I see no end of photographs on Instagram of people with their hi-fi and their vinyl collection. And so many of them are like basically Calax units hmm. and then hi fi on top of the Calax unit. But all the components have to sit on top of the Calax unit because they're too wide to fit inside the Calax units. Most of them, most of them are. So now at IKEA you can buy this sad that allows you to put two full size components sort of not on the top and then you could then you can put your say your turntable on top or whatever. I think it's very cool. Yeah. Um the, th- the catch is that it is a limited edition, so it's not available. Mm. I don't think it's going to be available for long. I don't know how limited it's going to be. I did look at actually ordering one just so I could make a video. If they made it in white, I would buy one instantly. Mm. But I look to IKEA Germany, and they only have them in stock in various places, but they're not doing home delivery. And I hate going to Ikea. I mean, no, well, some, some, you know, psychos love going to Ikea, psychotic people. Sorry (laughs) if you're a psycho and you like going to Ikea, but I'm not one of them. Um, I guess that you could do the click and collect where you just kind of pay for it and then just sneak Mm. into that collection zone and then whip it out again. But I don't have a car, so I'd have to get like a, we have these things called furniture taxis here in Berlin. So you load into a furniture taxi, but Mm. that adds like another, well, maybe another 30 bucks to the price. So... Anyway, but I think this is a very cool thing. I think it's going to be a very popular thing, certainly for a short time. I really hope they extend it or make it permanent or do it in white because black is a bit doody, isn't it? It's a bit of a a dude thing. You know, it's not necessarily my taste, but it might be somebody else's. Mm. But, you know, well, I think it's 69 euros. I think it might be more than that, actually. I don't know where... Oh no, the the two by four, sorry, the two by four Calax is sixty-nine euros. This thing is definitely over a hundred euros, so it's probably gonna be a hundred and something US dollars. So um yeah. But I, I do notice that a lot of things are cheaper in the USA. Even when you once you factor in sales tax, I was looking at the AirPods Pro version two, because I've just put a video or I'm about to put a video live about those. So by the time people are listening to this podcast, it'll already already be up. And in Europe, I paid 299 euros right now i just looked at the us price it's 249 us dollars how is it huh. which is about yeah 230 euros god damn you americans i was <laughs> <laughs> getting the good stuff cheap i know it, it, it does flip over i know there's stuff that's a uh, that's cheaper here or isn't available in the usa but yeah i'm, I'm always surprised that the, the the uh the price difference I, I know why i'm aware of the sort of yeah shipping and import duty. And here a VAT in Germany is 19%. Hmm. Um, in some other countries, I think it's even higher, which is, yeah, insa- what well, not insane. I understand why it's that, that, that <laughs> high, but yeah, it's uh, it's not a good time to be sort of trying to save money at the moment, is it really? I mean, I know a lot nice. of people out there are doing it tough. So I, yeah, I didn't pick a really expensive Dak Michael, because I'm sensitive <laughs> to the... Uh, <laughs> The needs of people out there and the, the current state of the world economy, and I'm sure I'm going to put my foot in it later and talk about something really expensive and contradict myself.
1: Yeah, well, I did just fill my car up with gas yesterday, so I'm, I'm reminded on a very regular basis. Uh, right, the cost of things. Yeah, but
0: you don't even know about the cost of gas in the USA because oh, whatever what you it, don't know, <laughs> you know, because what whatever it is in the USA, it's going to be like double or triple, you know, in in Germany and certainly the UK. The Brits do it really tough on gas pricing. Oh but my you goodness.
1: have uh, public transportation. That's <laughs> true. Actually, yeah, we
0: don't, <laughs> we don't need cars. We have, we have personal chauffeurs. Every one of us has a <laughs> personal chauffeur. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And talking of um, being sensitive to mm. uh, to well, I guess affordable gear. Do you want to tell us about the the mega expensive high size hi fi system that you had recently?
1: Oh, sure. Just set me up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, actually, it, I'm, I know I'm, I'm being a little bit jokey and flippant about it, but I think it is really interesting because we haven't spoken since you catch I think kind of came in and then it went,
1: right? Could you talk us what, through what it, what it was or is? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So this was un- unusual for a number of reasons. Um, I guess the first reason, uh, an entire system was delivered mm-hmm. uh, to the barn. And that system was comprised of the Credo, that's C-R-E-D-O, Credo of Switzerland. Mm. They're cinema LTM speakers. And so right off the bat, if you you know go- do a Google image search on those speakers, you'll see they're roughly, I'll say, seven foot tall. And the, the front is a, is a line array with the mids right. and tweeters. Okay. So... It's a lot of a lot of very tiny drivers, and then behind that front panel are two um, base cabinets. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of it, the speakers designed so that it's it's not a bear to deliver and install. So it does come in three pieces: that front panel that is the line array, and then the two base cabinets all go together. For, fairly quickly mm. um i didn't do the work thankfully uh, uh of you of, hmm. so you because you have a loading dock for your
0: barn don't you
1: well i have a so in a way yeah the barn is at ground level but yeah there's an oversized garage door mm. that i open for these kind of deliveries and um uh john mcgurk who is the u.s distributor for uh, credo uh was he came along with Michael Kraske of, of Credo. Michael mm. designed these speakers. Uh, they did the delivery and setup. But John was able to back the trailer up so that the uh, essentially the um, lift gate dropped right onto the concrete slab floor. Mm -hmm. and uh, so they rolled this stuff out literally onto the floor of the barn so it sure makes that kind of thing um easy and i have Mm. to say it is one reason why this happens i have a space that can accommodate you know seven foot tall speakers um without issue so did they make you feel smaller (laughs) (laughs)
0: sorry i couldn't resist did you You cower in front of them
1: (laughs) (laughs) i gave them a negative review because they made me feel short
0: right yeah it's understandable really yeah it's a short man's complex
1: i said why are you staring at me why are you staring (laughs) down at me this whole time um and so the rest of the system was all emm labs Mm -hmm. um emm labs i'll look at the models just so i i don't butcher them um it'll take just a second mm-hmm. speaking of being unprepared
0: <laughs> well no because I, I realize that i mean hi-fi companies don't really have a reputation for naming their products in a catchy way
1: yeah so that yes so that the the system uh the rest of the system was it was the EMM Labs MTRX2 mono amplifiers, mm-hmm. and they put out about a kilowatt of power each. Mm. The EMM Labs pre reference pre amplifier, the uh, EMM Labs DAC2 reference DA converter, and the uh, EMM Labs NS1 streamer. And cables were from Vandenhall. Okay. So just. Uh, gear wise speakers and EMM lab electronics, uh, came in at about $345,000.
0: Yeah. That's mega money, isn't it? I mean, that's, yeah. To me, that's what we, we, we do see a lot of that stuff in Munich, that kind of price point, right? Mm. A lot of it the uh, yeah, in the upstairs rooms. I mean, I don't, I'm not really exposed to it, which is why I'm interested in what you thought, because, you know, like I don't, yeah, I don't really know anybody that even gets to sit in front of that kind of hardware on a, you know, on a consistent, not on a regular basis, but say for a number of weeks as you
1: did. Yeah. I had that system here for three weeks, just a hair over three weeks. Mm. Um, and of course I listened to it every day. I wasn't going <laughs> to, I certainly wasn't moving it. Yeah, sure. You know, every piece with the exception of really the streamer has some serious weight to it. Those mono blocks are a couple hundred pounds a piece.
0: Mm. Um, well, I guess if people want to know what you thought of it, they can probably read about it on your website. But
1: yeah, I did write a I did write a review of the system. That was part of it, and also of interest, perhaps for some readers, is part of the setup process for the Credo uh, Cinema LTM speakers. And any uh, buyer would get this same setup mm. either through a dealer or actually from a. Uh, direct from credo um they they use measurements as part of the setup in room setup process Mm -hmm. so attached to my review is a report uh by michael kraski of his in room measurements Mm. Uh, so people can see what this place looks like uh, in terms of measured response
0: Mm. yeah Um, i know you you were pretty happy with that weren't you
1: Yeah, I I was because it's an you know it's an independent third party uh, person who's published was you know allowed me to publish yes his measurements of my room Mm -hmm. Um, of course you know I've lived in this space for seven some odd years Mm -hmm. so I know what it sounds like Um, but there are any number of people out there on the internet who think they know what my room sounds like better than i do based on even a photograph
0: yeah that is the internet disease is and it? it's this thinking you know better than the person telling you what's going on or they're yeah, not- the person they're-
1: who's actually <laughs> living yeah. in this space yeah. and hearing it so yeah this can quiet that well it never will um but i can certainly point people to it if they if they really want to you know push the issue Well, I guess because the in-room response uh, as is um, essentially was, there was nothing that needed to be corrected. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
0: I mean, I guess the advantage you have in having a large space is you won't have the low frequency problems that I have listening Mm -hmm. in a small space because all small rooms have bass problems. And yeah, I think it's well established that I've got a 35 Hertz mode in here um, and I just kind of have to live with it. I'm, I'm actually very happy it's a 35 and not over 40 mm. because it's in the, therefore, it's in the bottom octave 20 to 40 hertz. And, you know, it obviously, if you get some sub bass, it can, you can, I can hear it sometimes, I guess, if I've got a speaker that will go that low mm. or if I've got a subwoofer in play. But the great thing about, well, certainly some subwoofers is they have parametric EQs built in. So you can kind of dial the, yeah. Dial the mode out a little bit. I mean, you, you'll never cure it entirely. And I certainly don't want to load this room with bass traps. I've, I've done this to death already. And that's I'm, I'm a little bit envious of your barn space because having a big room like that would, you know, would eliminate bass problems. I mean, maybe it would, I don't know, I don't want to kind of cast aspersions about your space. But maybe, <laughs> it would, well, maybe it would introduce a higher reverb time. I don't know. Well, it does. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That is the, there's absolutely no doubt you can hear it. And that's what some people uh, who have watched some videos uh, here have interpreted the reverb they hear uh, to mean that the room is not uh, appropriate for critical listening, let's call it. Um, However, there's a where i don't want it doesn't matter i mean no, to get into I, that
0: but well, you I, know. I, I actually want to get into well, a little bit into this because i think mm. you have to be very careful in judging room reverb remotely so let's say for yes. example um you were making a speakerphone call to me right now right i know you're not because you're using a microphone that's probably got some directionality built in but yeah. if you had a normal speakerphone it might appear to me that you have loads of reverb in your room, right? Because, mm-hmm. because the microphone in the, in the sort of speakerphone captures everything, right? Yes. But if I was talking to you in the barn right now, I would hear either no reverb or certainly a lot less reverb because what the ear brain does is filter out a lot of the re- reverb, like it sorts it out. Now, it can't sort out all reverb, but it can sort out a lot. So when we hear a recording, let's say it's on YouTube or a podcast, and we go, "My God, that room sounds really echoey," you mm. kind of or re- reverberant. You have to go, "Hang on a minute." It might not be that bad in person, or certainly, in in person will be very, very different, and will almost certainly be better than what we hear on a recording because a microphone cannot filter reverb as our brain does.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's other there's. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of issues here. Um, one very basic one is I'll use your speakerphone analogy. Mm. So let's say I had a speakerphone sitting on my desk and I was at my desk talking to you. And then I got up and walked across the room 25 feet away and mm. continued to speak to you. Mm-hmm it would sound worse and worse it would sound far worse yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so you know in some videos that were done here that are out and about on the internet not whatever you know i was interviewed by someone who had a a, was using the microphone in their camera and they were like 12 feet away from me Hmm. so you know but nobody uh, now if you just put a lav mic clipped it to my lapel oh reverb's gone you know so there's those issues but also when you if you want to discuss reverb and how does it affect listening to music then you have to actually know the nature of the reverb you're talking about and of course um you know some kinds of reverb can muddle uh sound mm-hmm, it depends on the on the nature Of that reverb, and it just so happens that in the barn, uh, the reverb that is here is there are it's very evenly distributed across Mm -hmm. the frequency band, and there are no uh areas where it's it's dramatically worse in terms of frequency than in other areas, it's very uniform, so it's benign, and in the end, that's the that's really what happens and you can see that play out in the measurements I was referring to earlier
0: that very much echoes what my um ac- acoustician friend Jesco lohan says mm. he says like the first thing you want to look at on a sort of uh, well an rt60 graph which is the yeah re- reverberation time um for sounds decay by 60 db um he says you want to look for uniformity mm-hmm. uniformity is the key really it's not that necessarily well obviously high reverb time is a problem you know so if you're up to sort of you know close to a second then you're going to have a problem no matter what but mm-hmm. he said a bigger problem is having say close to a second here then maybe half a second here then yeah. 0.7 seconds here then back to a second over here where it's wildly inconsistent that's worse than having just a flat high reverb time yes that's what he tells me anyway
1: yeah well also if you look at you know if you look do if you do any any amount of research into designing spaces for music replay mm. whether that be a, a you know a small club or a large stadium or uh you know a, a performance hall um there's different schools of thought about how much reverb you want in each of those environments mm-hmm. it's not a one size fits all kind of thing which is you know it, which uh, i guess unfortunately with on the internet people have a tendency to want to boil everything down to a right way and a wrong way mm-hmm. um, especially in hi fi um, and the idea, the notion that yes there's a there's a correct amount of reverb and an incorrect amount of reverb for any given situation um, that's uniform is just not the case so you, yeah you can see if you look you know some people believe that in a larger halls meant for acoustic music, uh, classical music. There should be X amount of reverb, mm. more, and blah 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 blah. Also, frequency response. You know, I whatever. I mean, I tend to like a little hump here and there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to quote you on that. Yes, feel free. <laughs> I left it there. Just yeah, yes. Yes, yeah.
0: Michael Lavoni likes a hump here and there. <laughs> um All right, let's. Should we? Mm. We've done that. Let's move on. um I want to talk about um dolby atmos and specifically dolby atmos as it is sort of wrapped under this banner of spatial audio on apple Mm. music now i had a a bit of a shitty time with dolby atmos using the sonos arc soundbar Mm. because Mm. it, it skips the beginning of tracks it takes a while for the i probably mentioned this before it takes a while for the decoder to warm up so if you're skipping tracks, it just kind of, you can hear the track ramp up. You miss the kind of first impact. Mm. Also it's not gapless, but I've been playing a lot recently with, uh, Bluetooth noise cancelling headphones and Apple Bluetooth noise cancelling headphones, and they are sort of Dolby Atmos spatial audio compliant out of the box. You just have to mm. click play an Apple music and you know, through those, it, Sounds well. It can sound. It can vary from great to like just a bit ho hum. Sometimes the stereo mixes are better. Hmm. I mean, I guess it depends on how it's done, really, whether they've gone back to the the master tapes and remixed it or not. Hmm. But my general complaint about Dolby Atmos, or not complaint, it's I can't get enthusiastic about it yet because there's not enough of it, and it's the same logic that I apply to high res audio. I mean, I know there's more and more coming out every day, but it's still a very narrow slice of all music available. And Atmos content is even scarcer than high res. But I want to enthuse about the Talking Heads catalog, which has just been released on Apple Music in Dolby Atmos, because it sounds, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to swear here, it sounds fucking incredible. Mm -hmm. Like, incredible. Now, back in 2005, when Talking Heads issued something called the Brick Box, which was a, a set of, hybrid discs which were dvda and cds and the dvda layer had a surround sound mix on it and i went out and bought an entire 5.1 system just to play that brick box because i wanted <laughs> to hear hear those mixes because i'm such <laughs> a talking heads nerd right yeah and i wanted to and i, I loved it but i just hated that 5.1 system I hated the wires across the floor. Mm. I hated integrating a subwoofer because I didn't know very much back then. In fact, I had the store owner come and do it for me, but I don't think he was really mm. that in, invested in that. I think he just wanted to make the sale and get and get gone, which I can't blame him for that, really. But, but that actually, also that, I had a Cambridge Audio surround sound processor slash amp, and it too had that sort of, slow ramp up to decoding the very start of the disc. It wasn't every track. It was just the disc and that Mm. drove me crazy. And I got rid of it. I got rid of the whole surround sound system in the end because I just want to go back to stereo. However, Mm. with stereo headphones, with the Apple AirPods max and the new AirPods pro two, specifically the latter, which I took to Spain with me last week and I was hammering the talking heads catalog. Like, Oh my God. And it's not because it's like this all enveloping, sound that sort of where things seem to come from behind you it's not that at all Hmm. it's separation separation Hmm. is absolutely killer well i can only speak to talking head stuff Hmm. because i know these albums inside out because i've been listening Hmm. to them for like 35 years and the separation both horizontally and vertically is just astonishing and you can hear so much further into the songs Hmm. now i think jerry harrison the guitarist slash mm. keyboard player did these mixes mm. i don't know if they're derived from the brick box mixes or whether they're new mixes i don't know mm. but they sound so good mm. like i just i'm so excited about the sound of this and, but the thing is is that we have to then ask ourselves is every artist going to go back to their, their source tapes and do this and the answer is going to be obviously no i mean i think very few artists will do this um i uh, maybe there'll be a way to do it, up, you know, sort of artificially, I don't know. But I think a lot of these sort of artificial Dolby Atmos mixes, and I air quotes the mixes because they're not really remixed, but they're, they can fall a bit flat. But the talking head stuff as a sort of showcase of what's possible from Atmos behind stereo headphones, this is the key here, stereo headphones is astonishing. And I really think that it is these kinds of headphones, like mainstream Bluetooth noise cancelling headphones that mm. will move spatial audio forward if it moves at all. Um, although I think Apple just announced a collaboration with Mercedes Benz to put uh, Atmos in a in a car, but that's mm. a you know that's a essentially a rich man's car, right? It's not your sort of Bush. yeah everyday, <laughs> sort, of, everyday <laughs> sort of kind of I don't know Chevy or something like that. So, but I I I feel like I've been a little bit hard on spatial audio or surround sound formats over the last, well, I don't know, five years. Hmm. But I'm hard on anything that's, you know, where people are making a big noise about it and there's not a lot of it available. Because then yeah, the tail wags the dog. I'll shut up in a minute, but...
1: <laughs> oh, no, I really, uh, this is, it's fine because I am absolutely going to be the grumpy old man on this topic because I have no, I don't listen to music through headphones. I think, hmm. you know, I don't... Uh, I, the only time I do is is when I'm uh, reviewing something that has a headphone jack. Mm-hmm. Um, for any number of reasons, the main one being I just don't find it all that enjoyable. Do you remember S-
0: when we were talking about the launch of Apple Music, sort of high-res, lossless provision, and we were sort of chortling at Eddie Q, who had basically said that he thinks Spatial has more of an audible impact than high-res audio. Do you remember that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. He's right. Absolutely right. Because if I, let's say I listen to, I don't know, pick any Talking Heads album, I've listened to it in the stereo mix and then the spatial mix, Hmm. the difference between those two I'm not I'm not joking. It literally is night and day. I know it's a horrible cliche. I know I make fun of people who say it, but it is night and day. The spatial blows the stereo mix out of the water. <laughs> it really does. And You can't say that about the difference between the stereo CD rip or the CD quality version and the high-res version. They sound very close to each other, but the spatial, it's just, it's such another level. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, no, I, I th- yeah, this I... I would agree with that p- point, and one of the reasons I feel comfortable saying that without having any experience with Atmos is that I reviewed a product years ago. That's let's say it's similar. I've talked mm. about it before, so we mm. don't need to get into it. The company is Theoretica Applied Physics. The product is Bach 3D B A C C H essentially um it's a it's a, a software or hardware solution that takes any recording and create and through any stereo system
0: hmm. uh
1: represents it in 3d huh. yeah and so you know i reviewed it and i also heard heard it at shows and i absolutely the first time i heard it, i believe it was at a ces many years ago and i wrote something very much like what you just said i said mm-hmm. anyone who hears this um will hear a difference it doesn't matter who they are yes. or, and their level of interest in music it's it's shocking
0: yes yeah that's how i feel about the um, the talking extra spatial yeah it is so shockingly good yeah
1: the question i did have Uh, that remains unanswered really because it was a review and it it only lived here for a few months and left was I'm not so sure if I would want that uh, presentation as my everyday listening experience. (laughs) Well, I can, I can say,
0: Oh God, you know, it could ruin me because it's going to be harder for me now to just go Mm. back in front of the speakers and sit and Mm. listen to the CD of fear of music or, Little creatures, or something like that. It's just because I know what the spatial sounds like, even through AirPods Pro Two. Although hmm. the AirPods Pro Two are a fantastic
1: little yeah. earphone,
0: it's the first Apple yeah. earbud that I think audiophiles could get on board with. There are how much? So yeah, two hundred forty nine dollars. Right. Yeah. I think. I think I'm. I was struggling to title my oh, video. I haven't. Right? I've yeah. written the title so far. I remember I was talking about talking about this with you off air, but like Apple mm-hmm. AirPods Pro are the best $249 you will spend on audio in 2022. Mm-hmm. Now I stand by that. I think if you've got you know nothing and you're thinking about a pair of headphones, mm-hmm. the AirPods Pro have enough separation and sub bass and that sub bass separated from the bass and they're not sibilant. They don't sound papery or dry as the original AirPods Pro did. And I think they have greater transparency than the Sony, this is the awful name, the Sony (laughs) WF-1000XM4, right? Right. I mean, for that kind of money, and they give you access to some spatial, I mean, as much as I think is available right now, but the noise cancelling is off the dial. I just, I -hmm. can't think of a better use of 249 bucks. So if you're on the fence about AirPods Pro 2, Don't be on the fence. Just do it because Mm. they are astonishing. They're so much better than the the version one. And I had to be pushed because I was on the fence and then my uh, music producer buddy in Los Angeles was like, no, they're way better. So I went and bought a pair just before I went to Spain and took them with me because that way I could still do a bit of work while I'm sort of milling about in Malaga.
1: Um, I see they're two 239 on Amazon at the moment.
0: 239, yeah. I mean, it's just a ridiculously good use of money. They're great for phone calls. They're super comfortable. I, I would say it's the first Apple headphone or earphone that I find hard to fault. Maybe the only ding mm. is that they're not very good at rejecting wind noise. So if it's a windy day or you're moving mm. on a bike, they're not going to reject that while you're running, but everything else is just for the money is just astonishing. Mm. And if that's your experience with spatial audio, then there's a great starting point. Yeah. Because I don't I don't think you could wire a room for spatial, so like with the speakers and the ceiling and everything, mm. and treat the room so mm. it sounds good to get a result as good as you hear spatial through these little white
1: earbuds. Well, certainly nowhere near that kind of money. <laughs> no. You couldn't even get
0: like the, the cabling to do it for that kind That's of money, right? right. It's yeah. just yeah, I'm just I'm super impressed with what Apple have done. I mean they they finally thrown money in the right direction. And what I mean by that Mm. is they throw money at the drivers inside Mm. the AirPods Pro 2 and the amplifiers and probably the DSP as well that optimizes Mm -hmm. that whole interaction between the amp and and the driver. So they've knocked it out of the park, really. I mean, I thought the AirPods Max were great, but these are just, for the money, just astonishing.
1: Well, it's a a brilliant Trojan horse for Atmos. It is, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, and just just back, just to connect topics here, mm. um, yeah, getting uh, this. I'll just refer to it as three D audio, but right, getting yeah, three D audio to work yeah. in room, you do, you cannot. Uh, the room has to be either treated or not have any real uh, issues. Because that also, with that product I mentioned, the Bach 3D, Mm. part of that setup process was in-room measurements that the software will correct for in order to present this 3D Uh. image in-room.
0: So one thing I've not worked out with a, say, physical in-room Atmos install with speakers Mm. in the ceiling is how do you put speakers in the ceiling and treat the ceiling acoustically? Because that, for me, is the, the number one surface to treat. So how yeah. do you do that and also put speakers there? Do you have to sort of embed it embed the speakers within the sort of the panels? I guess you uh, would,
1: right? I, I don't, don't know. Yeah, I really don't know. I've got no Neither have I. Yeah. I but haven't a, even it, had um any curiosity about it. I hate but say, it's a good but, question,
0: isn't it? Yeah. You know, people either have one or the other. And the other the other thing as well is like when I sort of grumbled about the Sonos Arc soundbar, mm some commenters in my youtube comment section were like well john of course is not going to work in your room because you've got a treated room and the soundbar needs to bounce sound off the walls and off the ceiling to give you that sort of oversized atmos presentation Mm. so i'm thinking what so atmos needs an untreated room or a soundbar that gives atmos needs an untreated room to do its thing right and i would Mm. no i'd much rather have the treatments and Uh. stick with stereo than have that kind of Weird ass compromise.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, um, j- it's just my my view on Atmos, uh, which is uh, admittedly um, if coming from a person who is, let's just say, I don't have a lot of interest in it. But um, it, it for most people, it's gonna it's a headphone kind of thing. You know, it is,
0: it, it is now. Yeah, but but sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off. But like, you think I'm- about the surround sound formats that have been, well, basically have come to market and audiophiles have gotten excited about when there's been like five discs. So we had like DVD-A. I don't know whether there was another disc format back in the early 2000s, but then we had Blu-ray audio surround sound formats. I mean, Stephen Wilson, God bless him, is doing surround sound formats on Blu-ray discs even now, right? Mm. Now, I'm I'm not knocking those formats or those setups. I'm just saying they have very, 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 very niche appeal. Yes, that's because because very few people have the hardware. Yeah, but you think about the number of people who've got Apple earphones. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions. I don't know whether it's Mm -hmm. I don't know the numbers, but you know you've got an instant pipe for that kind of it's virtualized Dolby Atmos, I would guess you'd call it. But even then, as I've said, it's not this sort of all-enveloping surround field. It's just fantastic separation. Yeah. So every muse, every sort of instrument has more of space to breathe hmm. that's, that's the best way I can explain it. Or certainly that's the case with the talking head stuff. Maybe I should stop talking about this now, but
1: well, but no, it, to me, it's like, like, this is of interest to me. I mean, like it quite literally is like, I could say, I could actually see myself getting these, uh, the airpod pros for the three times i leave the barn a year <laughs>
0: it's worth it it's, it's 80, 80 bucks a, 80 bucks a trip it's well worth it
1: <laughs> and this way i could check out you know Atmos, and i'm sure i would enjoy it i'm not you know i did i was pretty grumpy when it first came out in a a post or two about it just because of the press pitch but nonetheless i mean i could see the appeal mm. you know and i've heard something along these lines and yeah it is shocking if I'm, I'm assuming it's similar in presentation to what i've heard with the bach 3d it's shockingly different in a positive way yeah. yes so. if
0: it's done if it's mixed properly yeah it's done yeah. Right. it's really i mean i i know there's some flaming lip stuff that was put out on mm. on dvda in the middle noughties i'd love to see that come to a you know, a spatial file. Um, there's, I mean, Peter Gabriel did his entire, I think all of his videos and all of his hits, he did those in surround sound. Why aren't those out in spatial? Maybe, maybe it's a licensing thing. Maybe it's Peter Gabriel being, I don't know, slow as ever. I'm not so sure, but, um, Mm. yeah, it's just, uh, it's interesting from a technological point of view. I think where I, and I think you, get a little bit grumpy i think that that is the right word mm. is when people try and tell us this is going to be the next big thing this is going to be huge right mm. now you can't say it's going to be huge until really it's very close to being huge because <laughs> if, if there's only like 10 titles available and yeah. uh, but audio files tend to get carried away by new formats I think yes. this is one thing I've learned. I mean, I remember, remember like the enthusiasm for DSD back in
1: 2010. Oh, absolutely. No. That's right. When, um, <laughs> I, the audio stream launched. Yeah.
0: It's right. When I started as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I Will it do that. DSD? Yes.
0: Will it do DSD? Like, yeah. well, yeah. Where is DSD now? Yes. I know it has niche appeal. Yes. I know some people listen to it and I'm not knocking it again from a technological point of view. I'm sure it sounds wonderful, but I'm mm. saying it has it's universal appeal is nah. it's just not there.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, so on a very personal note, part of the issue for me with Atmos and with the high res with DVD, it's not the way I consume music. No. Uh, it has nothing to do with the way I consume music. Any of those things, I consume music based on the music. The music, one you know, one artist will lead me to another, or blah 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 blah. I consume music, and I don't care at all what format it is, or if it's high res or not, I don't seek out, you know, the whatever. It's just not the way I consume music. So when technology tries to interfere with that process and suggests, wait a minute, you really should be focusing on just the music. So that's released in double DSD on <laughs> my skin crawls and I run the opposite direction.
0: But I think Everything we've had so far has been a minor improvement. Let's say to audio quality or resolution or Mm. just a fairly nebulous term, but, but like a a percentage point increment in quality Mm -hmm. or maybe Mm -hmm. a couple of points. Right. And I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not chasing those, not doing it, but I would say that Mm. the Atmos stuff that I've heard with the talking head stuff. And with a couple of other things, there's also a Book of Shade album called Movements, which is available in this electronic music, it's available in at Atmos and that sounds markedly better than the stereo version. I'd say we're talking like a 10 or 15, maybe 20% improvement. I hate yeah, putting yeah, numbers yeah. on things, but like, I'm trying to yeah. say, we've gone from like single digits to maybe 20, 30%. So it's a big diff difference. So it's the first yeah. time that I've heard that. And the only reason I'm excited is really because it's available behind stereo headphones.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah. and I'm I'm doing loads of actually this this dovetails beautifully into the next topic, right? Because I'm doing loads of Bluetooth noise canceling headphones at the moment because the market has exploded this year, Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: it really started with Mark Levinson's number five nine oh nine, and then because they yeah they sold for well still sell for a thousand dollars, which is a lot of money for a Bluetooth noise canceling headphone, but they are exceptional in terms Mm -hmm. of sound quality, they really are. Mm -hmm. But then, and I've not heard these the T plus A I forgot what they're called, but they're like 1,500 euros or dollars thereabouts. That's a Bluetooth noise-canceling headphone that's also designed to plug into a normal headphone amp at home, so you could use them for both. Mm. And those two things that happened in the first half of this year, I thought, that's really interesting. I think that we're going to see much more of that. And then, sure enough, like Bowers and Wilkins put out the PX7S 2 and then mm. the more expensive PX8 and the PX8 is 699 euros, I believe. So that's in AirPods max territory. So we're talking over 600 bucks now, right? Which, and this stuff didn't exist a year ago. And now we've got four headphones that sell for more than 600, four, mm-hmm. sorry, four noise cancelling Bluetooth headphones that sell for more than 600 euros. Was it four or is it five? Anyway, whatever it is. Um, and I think that's interesting because I think we're going to see more and more of these, like the Focal. Hmm. I call them bathys, but I've been told it's Batiste. That's how the French say it. They say Batiste, but bathys because of bathysphere. Um, I do. I went out and bought a pair because I really, really wanted to make a video about them. I don't normally do that, but I thought, you know, 700 euros, I can stretch to that. And I'll probably give them away on my Patreon in a few months. Once I'm done with them. Um, And I may, well, we shot the video already. It's going to go up later this week. So by the time this podcast goes out, probably it's already on YouTube, but I'm, you know, I basically, I did this, you know, I did the Sony versus Bowers and Wilkins video. And then, well, we shot that. (laughs) And I got on a plane to Spain. And then two days later, Focala like, ta-da, here's our new, like really expensive luxury Bluetooth headphone. I'm like, oh my God. So when I put my Sony and Bowers video up, it's going to be full of comments about what about the Focal Batiste, (laughs) right? And sure enough, that's how it played out. And fair enough, I can't blame people for that. Hmm. So I thought like, I have to follow up with that. Um, I would do the Bowers and Wilkins PX8, but I don't like doing the same manufacturer so close. You know, two videos close together. Hmm. So I'm probably not gonna do that one for a while, but um, I'm just on a tear. So yeah, I've just done the AirPods Pro 2. Um, There is an earphone, which I, true wireless earphone, which I think is better or more transparent sounding with music than the AirPods pro, but it's not such an all rounder as the AirPods pro and then doing the focal. And then I've got to draw a line under the whole Bluetooth noise cancelling investigation that I'm mm-hmm. on at the moment, because I've got to get back to speakers and <laughs> I guess more, more luxury stuff because I don't want my audience to freak out thinking, Oh, John's has just gone fully mainstream. Cause I really haven't, <laughs> it's just that I wanted to follow, well, no, it's not that I wanted to, it's just the market sort of forced my hand. Like these companies release these products at this time. Mm -hmm. I think they're of keen interest to me. But the thing is about this kind of product is that reviews are more time sensitive than say more high-end speakers, amps and things like that. You've really got to get something done Mm. pretty quickly, which is, it's not ideal, but you know, it it is possible. So, you know, like the AirPods Pro 2 I had them for two weeks before we shot a video. The same with the Focal Batiste. That's right down at my minimum level of you know exposure yeah. to a product before I can really cement my thoughts and you know put them into a into a video script. But you know that's just that's life. You know I've got to strike a balance between <laughs> being timely and being correct or being as you know as thorough, correct as I poss- yes. yeah thorough as possibly can. Right. So mm. you know there are certain things that happen you know in the market or with audio with hi fi. That pop up out of nowhere. And I'm like, right. Okay. I got to drop that other stuff and do this now while it's still like a, I guess a hot topic if you like. Right. Um, and then come back to the stuff later, which brings us to our next topic, which is a little bit spicy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Okay. I've made a video about this. So if, if people want to know, um, really what the hell we're talking about, you'll need to go and look at my video that's called What's Going On With Rune 2.0 and Arc. Mm-hmm. Basically, the long and short of it is it's really simple, right? Is that Rune have added a new app called Rune Arc, which means which basically allows you to stream Rune out in the street, right? Mm-hmm. Away from your home. And to do that, you have to upgrade to Rune 2.0. And Rune 2.0 demands that you, well, near as damn it demands that you have a constant or active internet connection, even to play local files. So files on a hard drive that are connected to your Rune server. So not Tidal and cobos, you need an internet connection to play your local files, right? Now, I didn't yeah. know this mm-hmm. until my video about Rune arc went up because I'm not, I'm not on forums. I don't have time. I only discovered this sort of internet access issue with Rune 2.0 because one of my commenters taught, well, a couple of them m- made mention of it. And so I kind of Googled it and dug into it and I was like, Oh, this, this seems a bit weird. So I pulled the plug out of the, I pulled my internet out of the wall and pushed play on my local library and it played for five hours. So I'm thinking, what the hell's going on? Like it works fine for me. Hmm. All these other people must be wrong. Right. Cause <laughs> that's the reason, yeah. but I dig some, did some more digging and I thought, and then it turns out that some people get several hours of Rune playback with no internet. Some people get two minutes. Mm-hmm. So I phoned Danny a Rune. He's the COO. He's the kind of the brains behind the whole thing. Like he's the tech guy mm-hmm. who is in charge of all the tech. And he says, yeah, like we're guaranteeing zero minutes now. You might get more, you'll probably get more, but we're not guaranteeing that. Right. So the upshot is, yeah, that if, if you don't have an active internet connection with Rune 2.0, you might not be able to play your local files. Yeah. And I don't know, Michael, I don't know how you feel about this, but I, <laughs> I'm a, at least 50% of me is, is downright irritated by this.
1: Yeah. It's, this is another one of these um, issues that I have a, a personal reaction. Then, if, if, if you will, I have a pr- professional reaction. Mm hmm. And they're not the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, My personal reaction is, "Eh, I don't really care. If our internet connection is out uh, here, I've got other things to worry about. Sure. Um, Typically, the only time our internet goes out is when the power is out here. Mm -hmm. Um, It's due to the environment we live in and how there's just so many trees everywhere. And typically when power goes out, it's because someone's driven into a tree or a tree has fallen down and it takes out our power. So it's beside the point, Mm. whether I have internet access or not, because it's without power, I can't do anything anyway. So on on the professional side, yeah, I do. That's a a feature that has can have dramatic impact on some people's use of the product,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, because yeah, not everyone um, lives in a place like this where, you know, I mean, there, it not anyone I know, but I'm aware of places where, you know, internet connection can be spotty. So if you can't play your local files, when your internet goes out and your internet is kind of iffy, um, yeah, I'd be unhappy to say mm. the least, especially if I had already invested in a lifetime. Yes. You know, uh, uh. yeah, not, you know, month to month I get bail if it really pisses me off that much, but it, you know, if I've invested in, in the product, yeah, I'd be, I'd, I'd be unhappy.
0: I mean, I, I, I guess I like the way you said, uh, you know, you, you split it between personal and professional reactions because as professionals we have to think about people beyond ourselves. We have to think <laughs> yeah. about other people, right? Yeah. You know, how would other people feel about this who don't, you know, don't have an always-on internet connection or if it's spotty, or or somebody who bought Rune back in 2016 wanting to play their local files and aren't really that interested in title or cobas is just mm-hmm. a, a great way to kind of have a magazine layout laid over your local files and also really organize them so that you don't have to go in and edit all the metadata yourself. That's the other great thing about Rune. It sorts out all your files for you pretty much. Right? Yeah.
1: And it also creates these connections uh, yes. uh, within your library that might otherwise not even be obvious. Mm. Um, anyway, yeah. So.
0: I mean, I did speak to Danny when I, when I spoke to Danny and asked him, why is this happening? And he basically said, "We." I mean, you can watch my video about this. I'm not going to mm. rehash my video. But basically that what Danny wants to do is move a lot of the computational stuff that Rune does into the cloud, because he can add more features that way he can take it further.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now I explained this in my video. Some of my commenters won't have it. They think it's for other nefarious reasons. They invent conspiracy theories and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I can tell you what Danny said, and if you don't believe that, then that's fine. I just, I have nothing more to add. Like I can't help you. Mm-hmm you know, understand this any more than I do. Right. This is what Danny said. I'm relaying this and that's it. That's all I know. Um, and I sort of, I, you know, one thing I didn't say in my video and I did write it on my website today when I put the video on the website was Mm. that basically what Danny and Rune have done is they must've looked at this and gone, okay, right. We know people are going to be grumpy and are going to be very upset about this change. Right, and we're going to maybe lose some users,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they'll probably do a projection of how many users they're losing, right, or they will lose. But then they'll also do a projection about the number of users that they'll pick up through Rune Arc, so the re- remote streaming, but also into the future because they know what's coming feature wise. They might think, okay, if we add this feature, we, we can expect to pick up this many new users, right? They yeah. will have done that analysis already a long time ago. Yes, and. And clearly they've weighed it up and gone, well, we stand to gain more users than we will lose from this change. Mm-hmm. It's obvious. Otherwise, Rune's in the toilet and it's going to go bust, right? It, it, that's a business decision. So I kind <laughs> yes, of, you know, I have, right, <laughs> business, it's, a, yes. it's a business decision. <laughs> now, I don't like it. I, re- I really don't. Because when I was talking about Rune Arc, I was so happy because I'm like, okay, because pr- previously what I was doing, I was running Rune on a MacBook M1. And the reason I was doing that, it was so that I ran Rune across this hard drive full of tunes and I ran Plex across this hard drive full of tunes so that I could use Plex Amp, which is like the Plex's version of Arc out in the street, Mm. so I could stream audio, right? Mm. Now when Arc came along, I was like, right, I can get my nucleus back out of the cupboard, use that, and I just have one box and then one software Mm. system to Mm. do everything. Yeah. And I was kind of chuffed about that. I thought that's really simple because I like simple, elegant solutions. However, this is, this internet always on requirement has thrown a spanner in that plan because I'm now going to need to set up a backup system in case, you know, the internet goes down. Now, I know people might chuckle and go, well, John, you know, how often does your internet really go out? And the answer is hardly ever, Hmm. but it's the security blanket aspect of this that I think a lot of people really enjoy because it's the flip side of anxiety. It's the, it's the, the worry about what if. What if my internet goes out? Well, how am I going to play my my streamed audio like all the rips I've got on my hard drive or the bandcamp downloads or whatever? Mm. So I really do empathize with people who are upset about this and you know have had their security blanket taken away by Rune. So I'm gonna to have to set up, I'm probably gonna set up like a well, I think Plex needs an always-on internet connection, actually. I'm, I'm sure I've read that. I'm sure that's true. Mm. But one system that doesn't is Squeezebox Server. So I'm, I'm probably going to set up some kind of okay. squeeze box system as like a, a backup and it gives me an excuse just to revisit it. And just, just for fun, I realized that the chances of my internet going down for long enough that will kill my local streams is pretty slim,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but as somebody like you, who's been on the rune train since it launched, yeah, you know, and back then it was like, oh, wow, this is a great way to stream local files. Um, I think that's, that's when you form your initial opinions of what something is, right? Of what the identity of a piece of software, that's where you've, you know, your relationship with it is formed like with anything really. Mm. And that generally stays fixed, even though Rune have, I, in, to my mind, shifted their focus a little bit towards streaming. So you remember when the discover button was in the left-hand menu mm. and then 1.8, they took it away and they put that little blue panel way down the, the sort of the homepage. Now I miss that discover button in the left panel. Cause I use, I used to use that a lot because that's mm. a way of me rediscovering stuff that I've forgotten about in my own library. Yeah, And I can see what they're doing. They're kind of going, they're trying to blur the borders even more between title Cobas and local content. And maybe there'll be some playlist sort of, uh, tech or playlist integration tech that's sort of driving this. I don't know because mm. I'm not Danny. I don't have his vision. Like I don't know what he's thinking about Rune. And I don't think anybody does apart from him and, you know, the people on the inside. Yes. So, and that's the other thing is that we don't know. So I've seen people on my comment section today go, well, I think they're doing it just so they can check licenses. Well, maybe they are, maybe they're not, but they <sighs> right. don't, you know, you don't know. And to say that you think, you know, you're definitely sure that this is the case. Well, I don't know how you could know more than the person that's doing it, right?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, this is a theme, isn't it? I just mentioned that. Yeah, people think yes. they know what my room sent me, blah, blah. Yes. one yes. of the reasons I stay away from forums and comments is there are any number of of topics in life that cannot be answered in a sentence or two. Right. And there are. It's been my experience that many people on Who spend time on forums disagree with that basic notion and feel like they can say something like, "Oh, Rune's just doing this because they want a licensing, and that's it." As if I I just I can't get behind this kind of thinking. I'm trying to be as polite as possible because Rune, you mentioned Mm. it. Rune is a business, right? Mm. And they make decisions. In order to keep that business going. And that's not to say they're, they're not concerned about their user base. And if anything, I, w- I would say, as someone who's been using Rune since it launched, they've got a very good track record of, of offering solid improvements over time.
0: Right, because we've had Rune Radio was a big one, then the DSP, the convolution engine in the back end, so you could like tweak the sound to your according to your room or whatever you want to do. Um, but yeah, rune radio is the biggest for me.
1: Yeah, for me as well. Yeah.
0: But but I think that's us speaking as music fans more than rune users, I mean, in terms of music discovery. But what well, you just but, hmm. what, what you just described, like the dude saying, I don't believe it, like I think it's because of licensing. Hmm. That's what we call a conclusory statement. So it, it's a statement with no yes. supporting evidence, right? I mean, you could think what you like, but mm-hmm. without supporting evidence, well, you, you know, you don't really have much there beyond it just being an opinion, right? But I think it's opinions presented as more than that, which is, yes. I think, what rubs a lot of us the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I know that you and I are in the business of giving opinions, and but I don't know, I try not to present mine necessarily as like, this is the ultimate truth. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy people expressing their opinions, but when they kind of go, well, here's what I think with no supporting evidence, (laughs) but it is true, I'm like, ah, but you've got no supporting evidence. Now I I realise that I'm, I'm kind of, I could be perceived as shooting myself in the foot here because I give opinions on sound quality all day long with no supporting evidence beyond it being a relaying of my experience, but that's what I'm doing. I'm relaying my experience. right? So, but I'm not saying this is true. This is the concrete truth. I'm just saying this is my experience, right? And I, th- I don't know. I just think it's the, it's not what people say. It's the way they say it. Anyway, we're getting off track. But really,
1: hmm.
0: I think if I'm, I am going to criticize Rune here, I think they bungled the messaging on this because hmm. I think they thought that maybe nobody would notice. And when they did, they were a bit vague on what they would be promising to users. And I think only... From digging a bit deeper, like when Danny was pushed, did he say, well, look, we guarantee zero minutes, yeah, zero minutes of local file playback when the internet goes out, which I think is a very honest way to to describe it. And Mm. it's certainly less nebulous than the release notes, which just says that Rune requires an active internet connection, because that's not entirely the the entire picture, because it's basically Rune requires an active internet connection to play local files, not just Tidal and Cobas, right? Yeah. So I think they could have done better with communicating this change. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I don't like it. I don't like this change. I really don't. But I understand that, as we've already said, Brune is a business, and they're making chain changes that they think are best for their business. And they might be wrong, but probably they're going to be right, I would think
1: yeah yeah I've, certainly it remains to be seen, and they've got much more data to sift through than anyone else who's not in the company about their user base and how they use room mm. um, so yeah, typically um, well whatever yeah I'm a, I have to assume that they've done a real business case uh, and they've got their reasons for making these changes mm. And I'm not, yeah. you know, um, and, it remains to be seen what benefits will come from this new architecture.
0: Right. So my, my personal take on this to kind of bring it full circle. My personal take is I don't like it. Hmm. My professional take is, well, it's runes business decision. So let's see how this plays out ah, because, yeah, yeah, because, because yeah. people like me with my old man library of, files on my hard drive right i just think like maybe you're like that as well i think we're minority use a minority use case for rune i really do yes so do i yeah i think it's a dying breed (laughs) Uh, yeah i agree yeah yes anyway let's um let's wrap this thing up michael um we've (laughs) we should uh wrap it up as we normally do with some recommended albums do you want to go first on this
1: yeah sure um yeah, the album I want to talk about, and really, I just want to say just buy it because it's such a great, great record. It just came out. The artist's name is Lucretia Dalt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe it's just pronounced I. It's got an inverted uh, exclamation point followed by an A-Y followed by an exclamation point. Mm-hmm. Um it was released on RVG International just this past fr- uh, Friday, mm-hmm. October 14th. And um, so she, Lucretia Dolt, was born in Colombia, South America. Mm-hmm. And I think comfortably her previous releases, including this one, I mean, she was she's known, I guess, more as a, perhaps like electronic music, experimental um so on and so forth in those genres clearly not anything to do with pop or you know rock or indie blah blah blah. nonetheless but this record is such a huge um step in a new direction to my mind because it really does um have very obvious references and influences to music of south america mm-hmm. music styles um, all different kinds, but it's this, I understand the first, I get the lyrics are not in English. Mm. They are in, uh, let's just say,
0: uh, Spanish. or
1: Yeah. Spanish. Using? Yeah. I'm not sure. That's why I pause. And I don't know. I actually mm. don't have that information for any, so let's just say Spanish, but I understand that the, the story being told here is of an, uh, alien extraterrestrial visiting the earth mm. and trying to make sense of things um but it's just it's um it's unlike any music i've heard in it's in its fusion really of all these styles but but beholden to none and it's a true it's just a joy a joyous record to my mind mm.
0: um
1: and so uh um just other and out i i I guess I'm almost at a loss for words. It just strikes me as being, it's certainly one of my favorite albums of the year. If not, right. it's so easily in the top three. <laughs> it's, um, it's album worthy. I've already purchased the LP. It hasn't arrived yet. That's how I gauge things these days. Well, I mean, I guess
0: the fact that you're mentioning something, it just points people in the right direction and they can listen for themselves because it'd be pretty easy to just punch it in on Spotify, Apple Music, Rune or something like that, title covers.
1: Yeah, that's why, yeah, that's why I do feel even when I write about music, like I don't really have to say all that much. Like you could just listen. Yeah, it's available on Bandcamp. That's where I bought it. Uh, Bandcamp is nice because if you even buy the LP, you always still get the download as well, if you buy the CD, you get the download. So mm. it's kind of the best of both worlds there. So yeah, Lucretia Daltz, I highly recommend it.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, my recommendation is actually fairly simple and it's by a band I, I don't know much about. And I discovered them on an Instagram post. It was one of those sponsored posts, you ah. know, like, it's a band called Kerala Dust. Hmm. And I had to Google them. They're from the UK, three young dudes, and their album is called Light West. It's from 2020 or 2021. I think they made a little arty film to go with it, which is also on their website. Hmm. And again, you know, describing this kind of music, well, it's a bit like it has sort of it, it, it's a bit deserty, but there's a, there's a fairly hmm. strong electronic pulse through it. So they use a drum machine and some loops, I think, and then there's a guitarist and a keyboard player. And it reminds me a little bit of Morphine without the saxophone. Hmm. So it's kind of that sort of dusty. It's not like Tom Waits, but you can hear the hint of it. It's not like Nick Cave, but there's a hint of that as well. So it's fairly introspective. It's fairly, it, yeah, it's definitely moody. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it caught me by surprise. I just saw an Instagram thought that sounds pretty good. And then punched mm-hmm. it on the, on the big system and thought, ah, that's really cool. So yeah, Corala dust light West. Um, don't even know what label it's on, but it's on streaming services. You can have a listen for yourselves.
1: Denature records, Paris, France. I just looked it up.
0: Right. Okay, so I don't even know what that means in terms of uh, availability or whether it's on Bandcamp. It might it be. It is.
1: It's ban- yes. It's
0: okay, on- it is on Bandcamp. Yeah. So you've done more research about my, my recommended album Well, app- I just Google. for it.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. Hmm. Um, I think that brings us to a fairly reasonably tidy close sure. for this episode. Um, so, yeah, like it wasn't as sort of ramshackle as I thought it could be. <laughs> I know we we kind of went a bit grisly in certain directions. Yeah, well, I actually, yeah. I I do want to add actually on the rune thing. I must I must add this because people just think I'm I'm kind of giving Danny a fairly easy time. But I did say to him in a follow up text message like, what is the reasoning against making 1.8 legacy a longer term project, which is basically the version you can use if you just want 1.8 to run forever and you don't want to upgrade to version two. Mm. you know and I, and I suggested like strip away all but local or maybe make a version that strips away all but local file playback and maybe add folder browsing you know that would be pretty radical <laughs> am i am i insane to suggest p- such a permanent ish fork <laughs> right um and danny said i am insane for that which is fair enough you know it's his business <laughs> i mean he he get he gets to decide what he develops and what he doesn't but i'm just mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like I would love to see personally, I would love to see like a different fork of room that just tackles the, uh, the security blanket issue, whether they choose to do it, it's entirely up to them, but sure. um, yeah. I have asked the question. I have suggested, you know, things that I would like. Anyway, that makes this ending really messy, doesn't it? Cause I just reverted back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, kill me now. But anyway, look, Michael, thank you very much for joining me today, Michael and, um, chat to you again soon. Yeah. Sounds good. Cheers. You have been listening to the Darko Audio podcast with me, John Darko, and Twittering Machines' Michael Lavonia. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston and music came from Ben
1: Pitt.